Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, May 15th, 2022. Today's sermon will be Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link at the top and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We're moving on. We've spent some time in chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. The title of the sermon this morning is The Greatness of Melchizedek, a Picture of Christ. So we're going to see a lot of the sermon today is just retelling the story of Melchizedek. And then we'll end with how Melchizedek and his story pictures and, and is, is a type and illustrates the greatness of Christ um, this morning. So before we begin, though, let's pray. And I'll read the text after I give an introduction in a minute, but let's go ahead and begin with, with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. We know that the point of the book of Hebrews is that we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He has passed through the heavens. And He has gone beyond the veil. And He is seated at your right hand where He lives forever now to make intercession for us. So as your people this morning, we pray that Christ, that the Lord Jesus Christ would increase, that we would decrease. Father, give us great humility. As we approach your word, Father, we need your word greatly. Father, in spite of me, I pray you would work. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Today, as we move on to chapter 7, we, we begin a very interesting subject in which we will be here for quite some time in the coming days. But today really sets it off. And so, if you miss this one, you, I guess I'll every week come back a bit and explain past weeks, but this one is very important. And we enter the subject of the priesthood. Now, a priest is someone who goes between God and man, a mediator. And we see this subject really from the very, very beginning of the Bible, all the way through, as there have always been men who have functioned as priests. I believe Adam was the first priest in the garden temple of Eden, God's representative to mankind. I think of Job. If you read the story of Job, what did he do? He made sacrifices for his, you remember, his children, just in case they had sinned. He served as a priest. We could give examples of Noah, Abraham, and Isaac, and others. And we see the priesthood develop from the Old Testament going through coming up all the way to the law of Moses. And then, at that time, we see the priesthood established. It is developed. And so, <clears throat> when the, if you think back, when the Israelites entered into the land, and there were the 12 tribes, well, 11 of the tribes were given land, right? Well, what about the, the 12th tribe? Well, the, the tribe of Levi. What were they given? 
Well, they weren't given land per se. Yes, they were given cities and other things, of course. But the people then would bring tithes to these Levites as priests because they knew God had appointed them to be priests over them. And so their tithes took care of, of the, the Levites. And so when we, when we think about that priesthood right from the beginning, who was the head of that priesthood? Of course, it started with Moses, but officially it was the brother of Moses, Aaron. And so that's what we have from the Mosaic law coming forward all the way to the time of Christ. In fact, this was what was going on when Jesus was born and he lived and he, this was what was going on. And this priestly ministry was all that those Hebrews ever knew. They were, when Jesus preached to that generation there, that's all they knew. They were raised in it. They knew nothing else. It was so ingrained in their culture. I think about, when I was trying to think about my own life and, you know, things are ingrained. We could do this this morning. We could say, man, there are some things about my culture that I could not go without. It's like, wow, they're so ingrained. I think about growing up in Kannapolis over on First Street and just every day. And I was talking to Trish about this the other day, just First Baptist Church there, every hour, there were the bells. And right after the, the time... How, what, how, what time it was, then they would play two hymns, top of every hour. Just, wow, just thinking about that. Even though I, did, I don't believe I was a Christian at that time, that was so ingrained into me and so many other things that we could say. I think about even when I go to other countries, particularly Istanbul, and I hear the call to prayer for those Muslims in that culture. And of course, we do not agree with them, but culturally, for them to come over here, they miss that. Just that everyday thing that, that goes on in their life. And I'm sure we could, we could come up with a lot of things. Well, this was the context of this letter and this book of Hebrews. As this, this author, by the Holy Spirit, is writing to those Hebrews about this priesthood. And so, when he wrote these things, though, now, at that time, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ had taken place. And so the author was saying, okay, all of that system has been fulfilled in Christ. All of that. The old system in this case, particularly the priesthood, has changed. It has been fulfilled by the Messiah, who is superior in every single way to that priesthood. And this, again, is what the book of Hebrews is about. Look at chapter 8. There, verse 1. Again, we're going to read the verses in just a moment. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in which we are saying is this. You can be more clear. This is our point, okay, about the book of Hebrews. The point in which we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And this priest is not Aaron. It is not his sons, for they are not sufficient. For, Hebrews 10, 4 says, it is impossible for the what? The blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So with this in mind, the author uses the person of Melchizedek. Now I'm just wondering, is everybody, has anybody here not heard of Melchizedek before? It's such a mysterious 
figure, such a mysterious man. But, but the author is going to use this man as a stepping stone to the gospel. Now, look back at chapter 5, verse 6 of Hebrews. Chapter 5, verse 6. Speaking of Jesus' priesthood, he says, You are a priest forever after what? The order of Melchizedek. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Being made perfect, <clears throat> he became the source <coughs> excuse me. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after what? The order of Melchizedek. Then in chapter 6, he pauses. He says, okay, we're, we're going to move on to this Melchizedek, but he pauses and he gives them a warning, which is where we've been the last few weeks. Why does he give them a warning? Well, in chapter 6, verse 29, look there with me. 6, 29. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner, inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after what? The order of Melchizedek. So with this, thing, this in mind today, I want us to consider the greatness of this Melchizedek, particularly the order of Melchizedek, but Melchizedek as a picture. Again, this is the main point. He wants to say, this is Melchizedek, now it pictures the greatness of Christ. With that in mind, let's read verses 1 to 10. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth, or a tithe, a tenth part of everything. He is first, that is Melchizedek, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of his life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. In verse 4, See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of all the spoils, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law, to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case... Tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This in mind, I have five ways that we see the greatness of, of this man. Melchizedek. And some of them are very short, and then we will end. 
going through them again to see the greatness of Christ today, which is my prayer. So number one, in the greatness of Melchizedek. He blesses Abraham. Look at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most, Most High God, he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And then in verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So in these verses, we see that the one from whom all of the blessings of the earth will come, Abraham, is actually blessed by another. Instead of Abraham blessing Melchizedek, it is the other way around. We see this Melchizedek, he's blessing Abraham. He's saying a blessing, as the priest would say over the people. As parents sometimes say over their children, I bless you, I pray for you, these kinds of things. And so the author is arguing that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. And this is seen in his example of blessing. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Way back in the beginning. Genesis 14. Just keep your hand there, verses 17 to 24. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to read some of it. Let's think about the context. As Abraham comes to this man, Melchizedek. It's the context. Well, Abraham had just rescued his nephew, Lot. Because there had been a war between five kings and four kings. And they had a war, and Lot's side and the kings that he were under did not win the war. So they took Lot, those who were victorious in that war, they took Lot and all all of his family and all these folks and took them away. Abraham apparently was not there, and he heard about it. And so Abraham comes to the rescue. And he, it's a miraculous rescue, because he only takes a certain, I forget exactly how many, 300 and some or maybe, but I can't remember, but not very many men. And he comes and he defeats four kings. And then he rescues Lot, and he brings Lot and his family back. Well, after all this happened, there are spoils from the war. Abraham... As he goes back, back to the land of Canaan where he is from, where he wasn't from, but he's been moved by God. He goes back there and he meets this man Melchizedek. My my opinion is that they knew each other, I believe, before, but we have no evidence of that. The scripture doesn't say that. There he goes and he comes back to this Melchizedek who is the king of Salem. And he meets him, and there Melchizedek comes out, and he brings bread and wine, and he gives these things to Abraham, who at that time, his name was, do you remember? Abram. Look at verse 19, Genesis 14, 19. And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram, Abram, by God most high, professor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. This is the most amazing person, this Melchizedek. He's only mentioned, I don't know if you know this or not, Melchizedek is only mentioned here in the Bible, and then one more time in the Old Testament in Psalm 110. And this man blesses 
the most important and greatest figure in the history of Israel. Abraham. Abraham should be the one that's blessing Melchizedek, but instead it's the opposite. I've said this, I've given this illustration before, but when you think of the word goat, what do you think of? Especially the young people. The old people just think, bah, you know, what's the goat say? The young people, what do the young people think? Greatest of all time. When I think of the word goat, when I think of hockey, older folks, who do you think of? Wayne Gretzky. Basketball, we've got a, you think of basketball, who's the goat? Somebody might say somebody else. I would say Michael Jordan. Well, when the Israelites who were receiving this letter from this altar through the Holy Spirit, who was the goat? It was Abraham. He was the greatest of all time. Think about it. There was none in the history of the Old Testament as far as people were concerned to the Israelites during Jesus' time than Abraham. Because through him come the covenant, the promises. From him comes the son of the promise. From him comes the patriarchs, the twelve tribes, which eventually the Levite family would come out of this. From him came instructions on how to worship. From him came the inheritance of the land. From his posterity, not only all these things come down to them, but if they read the Old Testament, they read the prophets going forward, who else would receive blessings from Abraham? The earth, the ends of the earth. In fact, we are called by faith today sons of Abraham. He was the goat. Well, Abraham was just father. And then finally, father of many nations. Yet, this Melchizedek is the one who was given the honor. And he was given the honor of blessing this man Abraham. So that's one way we see the greatness of Melchizedek. Number two, the next three are very short. He receives tithes from Abraham. Look at verse 2. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Again, this is taken from Genesis 14. Here, Abraham comes and he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. We aren't given specifics, but I imagine some spoils of the war there. Again, I'm not going to say much, but the importance of this fact is that by giving a tenth, Abraham is acknowledging Melchizedek's is a priest. He's saying, I recognize you are a priest, and I'm giving you a tenth. I recognize your place as a priest. I recognize your position, and I recognize that in this regard, you are greater than me. So I'm going to give you these tithes. That's number two. Number three, his name is greater than Abraham. Look at verse two again. He is first, by translation of his name, king of what? Righteousness. Well, in, in the Hebrew there, his name, if you read it in the Hebrew, the root is righteousness. Because his name says it. Now, we aren't given specifics about his character, but his name means righteous. 
Again, Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of many, many nations. But <clears throat> this Melchizedek, his name, can you imagine your parents calling you righteous? That's, that's amazing. But his name is greater than Abraham. That's number three. Number four, his rule is greater than Abraham. <clears throat> Look at the end of, of, of verse 2. Chapter 7, verse 2. And then he is also king of what? Salem. That is, king of peace. Abraham came to this priest as a warrior. Straight from war. But, here's Melchizedek. There in this city of Salem. Not coming from war, he is seen as the, the ruler of peace. So if we look at the word in Hebrew, it's shalom, salam. I remember when we lived in Tatarstan, all my, all my friends, my, even my Christian friends, they would say to me, Brother John, salam, salam, salam. And they would shake my hand, and then we would go to these other places in the, war, war, I mean in the world, and they would say shalom, or they would say salam. In some way, shape, or form, it means peace. And I love this part right here because Melchizedek's city was the place of peace. Now let me just ask, just, just thinking about this going forward, which is the, the, by far the most blessed city in the Bible? Jerusalem. In fact, we see a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven in in Revelation, I believe personally that he was the king of Jerusalem. Now, who lived there before, before Joshua took the land? The Jebusites. It's kind of interesting. This, I, I can't prove this or anything. This is my opinion. But Jebusalam, the Jebusites, even there. Now, Jerusalem. I think it's a picture. Now, again, we aren't told... But this is not the author's point. The author's point is that his, the type of rule that he had as a priest was one of peace and one of righteousness. That's number four. Number five. We'll spend a little more time here. His priesthood, talking about Melchizedek, his priesthood is eternal. Now, we could say timeless. We could say a lot of things here, and I honestly had a difficult time wording this in my points. But I hope you'll get this as we go through this. The Holy Spirit, in directing these words, describes the priesthood of Melchizedek as one that is completely different than the priesthood of the Levites, those of Abraham's offspring. So here, especially, we're going to see the separation particularly between the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the Levites. Look at verse 3. Amazing words. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. This is 
An amazing statement. One of the most beautiful statements in all of the Bible, as we will see. The author is recognizing that the Bible does not mention this man's parents. Nor does it mention when he was born. Does not mention when he, was di- when he died. Now, I'm going to give a little parenthesis here. There are some who say this person, Melchizedek, was some kind of angelic being. Others say that he was the pre-incarnate Christ, appearing as we see clearly as the angel of the Lord at other times in the Old Testament. But I do not believe this is the case. I believe Melchizedek was surely a man. He couldn't have even been a priest if he were not a man. But the key, though, is that the emphasis is not on his manhood. That's not what the text is emphasizing here, his manhood. The emphasis is on his priesthood. So let's think for a moment about the qualifications for a priest in the Old Testament, in Mosaic Law. Well, could you be a priest if you could not identify your mother or your father? (laughs) Of course not, because you had to prove that you were from the tribe of what? Levi. A man could only be a priest if he could show that he was from the tribe of Levi. Also, a priest could not begin his service until what age? Does anybody know? What age do they start their service? 25. They started some things at 25, and then at 30 became more official. And then at at what age did they finish? Well, at age 50, they were required to stop and retire. And the young, young men, other young men from the Levite tribe would come along. But the author, by the Holy Spirit, says nothing about when his priesthood began or when it ended. This is very important. Look with, look with me. Let's read verses 4 to 10. Thinking about the Levitical system here and the difference between Melchizedek and the Levitical tribe and their priesthood. Verse 4. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, that's important. He received tithes from Abraham and blessed him, the one who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I know that's a bit difficult, but we're going to move on next week and see that more and more. But what the author is saying is that the regular rules for priesthood, in other words, these very rules of being of the Levitical tribe and 
and the very things, you become a priest at a certain age, you finish at a certain age, all of these rules that had to be for the Levitical priests, they do not apply to Melchizedek. They're different. This truth was completely new to the Hebrews. Because this man Melchizedek, well, when, when we're going to see in a moment referring to Jesus, but this man Melchizedek was not of the tribe of Levi. His parents are not mentioned. His birth is not mentioned. His death is not mentioned. This is in reference to his priesthood, not his manhood. And as concerns his priesthood, he was greater than Abraham. He was greater than Aaron. He was greater than the Levites. So here's my question going forward. In conclusion, why this Melchizedek? Well, think back. What's the, do you remember the title of the sermon? The Greatness of Melchizedek? Colon, semicolon, I always get them mixed up. A picture of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the reason for this priest in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110 verse 4, the reason for this man, one reason, is to be a type. It is to be a picture, to picture Jesus Christ. That's what it's here for. That's it. And it's for sermons like this today. It's what it's for. That we might think about Melchizedek and go, wow, look at his life. Look at his name. Look at his, look at his righteousness. Look who he's called, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. He blesses the one who should bless him. His, his name is greater in every way. And His priesthood is not like the one that comes from Abraham and the Levites. It's different in every way. That is why we have this today. That we might say, wow, look unto Christ. That we might speak about the greatness of Christ to whom, he's, to whom He points. That's it. The priesthood of Christ as we turn our attention to Him, is not determined by the earthly priesthood of the Levites under Mosaic law. Look back at chapter 5, verse 9 again. We're going to repeat ourselves. Chapter 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, He became the source, this is talking about Christ, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. This is us today. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever. After what? The order of Melchizedek. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Now. The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. We are not told anything about these things in Melchizedek until we come to the New Testament right here in the book of Hebrews. Why? Because it is to picture Christ. So let's think back to our truths this morning. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And this is where we apply this for the rest of the time. And this is our, where we will finish the sermon. 
Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Where do all your blessings come from this morning? Do not all God's blessings come to us through the eternal Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? I can just see Jesus standing in heaven just saying, I bless you. I bless you. He doesn't bless the world. He blesses those who have faith. He blesses the sons of Abraham through faith. I think of Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul, in this longest sentence in the New Testament, in the Greek, it is so long. I think it's such a long sentence because Paul starts to think about all the blessings that come to him in Christ, from Christ, from his death, life, death, resurrection, ascension, coming down to him. He can't stop, so he just keeps on going. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, I can just see Melchizedek blessing Abraham with bread and wine. Here we see who has blessed us, it's God, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, this is every, every blessing There is not one blessing that we receive that does not come down to us in Christ. But the most important ones are found in in Ephesians 1 verse 7. I'm not even going to read all of it. I'm just going to read some of it. In chapter 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption. Brothers and sisters, we've been bought. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed and taken out of the slavery of sin and brought over from the promised land into the kingdom of the Son. Keeps on there. (laughs) In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. In Him our sins are forgiven. Verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Yes, we have right now every spiritual blessing, but everything that God owns, we own. We could say that. Verse 13, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, back in Hebrews 4, He is the word. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him. Can you remember that? If you are a Christian today, do you remember when you believed in Him? And then you were sealed, the promise of the Holy Spirit. These are the blessings of Jesus. So when we read Melchizedek, That's why we read him, because it points to Jesus who gives us all of these things. Second, Melchizedek receives tithes from Abraham. The superior one received from the inferior one. Brothers and sisters, what do we give to our Lord? Do we give our money? Do we give our time? Do we give our efforts? Do we give our thoughts? Do we... Parents, give our families. Yes, yes, yes. But there is so much more. I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, because this is your spiritual worship. This life, brothers and sisters, is not about us. It's not about us. It's about Him. 
And we give it all, all of it, to Him. Is there anything here today you have not given to Him, the Lord of heaven and earth? Next thing we see is Melchizedek is called the King of Righteousness. Who is the Lord Jesus? Who is He called? (laughs) There's verse after verse. But He is called the Righteous One. Zechariah 9.9 speaks of Him looking forward. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter. He's telling them to shout aloud for this one who is coming. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous. Having salvation is he. Humble. Mounted on a donkey. On a colt. Full of a donkey. Just picturing what he will do before he goes to the cross. Coming down from the Mount of Olives down on the donkey as they put palm branches and waved to him and said, You are the king. Acts 7.52, Stephen says in his sermon speaking to those religious leaders, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Brothers and sisters, Abraham was not righteous on his own. He was a sinner by nature. The Levites, they were the same. The Lord Jesus was sinless. And God was called Always God has been called the righteous one. So is the Lord Jesus in the same way. Number four, Melchizedek rules over the city of peace. Who is Jesus called? He is called the Lord of who? Lord of what? Lord of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Isaiah 9 verse 7, we read this often, especially around Christmas time of the increase of His government, and of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So to us, Jesus says, Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, Do I give it to you? Let me say this morning. If your peace, if you think it's coming from the circumstances of life, the things that this world can give you, it might last for a day, for a minute even, or for a week, or for a month. But only the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is the true King of Peace, who gives us peace. And so look unto Him this morning. As If you are a Christian, you know this already. Maybe you've... You've moved away just a little bit. Well, repent. Say, Lord, I've looked to the things of this world for my peace, but I know what is right. And you're hearing this sermon this morning. And so I would say to you as well, repent and say, even as I've done this morning, Lord, you are the Lord of peace. And if you are not a Christian, then you've never known peace. You've never known it. Come to the Lord Jesus and look upon Him who will save you and give you His peace. And then at the very end, He says, Let not your hearts be troubled, (laughs) neither let them be afraid. Brothers and sisters, when we think about righteousness and peace, Jesus is both of them. Melchizedek is also both of them. 
One of my favorite verses is Psalm 85. Just a m- month or so ago, I guess, reading through my quiet times, Psalm 85, and I read this verse, and it has stuck with me ever since. And then today, it made more sense than it ever has before. Here's the verse, Psalm 85:10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss one another. In Christ, there and only in Him do we find both righteousness and peace. Because in Him, they kiss one another. For we are not righteous. We are sinners to the core. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are we are not people of righteousness. We lack righteousness. Even our, filth, even our, our, our righteous deeds in Isaiah are called filthy rags. Filthy rags. And because of this, because we lack righteousness, we lack peace. Peace with God. For there will be no peace without righteousness. Which causes us to picture what? cross of Christ, the righteous one. What did he do? He laid down his life as a righteous, sinless man on the cross. Righteousness. And then what happens? Peace for him? Not in that death. Because what happens? The wrath of God comes down upon him and punishes him. What happens when we think about the cross by faith and we trust in Christ? Well, we deserve to be on that cross with our unrighteousness, with the wrath of God coming down upon us, rightfully so. But there is the big exchange. In Christ, He gives us His righteousness. We give Him our unrighteousness. And then what comes our way? Peace with God. We celebrate that this morning, brothers and sisters. We have peace with God because our sins are forgiven. Because of this man of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 He suffered once for sins, the unrighteous for the right, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Finally this morning, last way we see the greatness of Christ pictured in Melchizedek. His priesthood is eternal. Melchizedek is described as without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of his life, He says here, he resembles the Son of God in that he continues forever as a priest. I think back, and I'm going to close with these verses. I think back to Hebrews chapter 1. I memorized these a number of times, but it seems like when I get up here and I preach, I forget what I've memorized. But I'll give it a go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He is what? Spoken to us in His Son, 
whom he appointed, who? The heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Who is this? This is the Lord Jesus. And he says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if we continue reading chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see over and over the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about Melchizedek from here on, and we're going to deal with him over the next couple weeks, but when we think about Melchizedek, what should we automatically think of now? We shouldn't just be inquisitive and thinking about who is this man and oh, all these things that maybe in the Old Testament they did. Immediately we should say, God put him there for one reason, and that's to say that Jesus Christ is the true priest. And so today, we say as Christians, how great is our high priest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Melchizedek. As the Holy Spirit has written these words for us today, and I pray that today would, would go deep into our hearts and into our minds. That even Melchizedek might be a, even an example of many other people and events in the Old Testament that were foreshadows. They were shadows and they were pictures and they were types of the one, the antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all of these things are fulfilled. Help us today to look under Christ. May He be more beautiful to us. If someone is not a Christian, I pray, pray that, th that today they would look unto Him and be saved. For Christians, I pray that we would find greater hope to know that our Lord has passed through the heavens and that His, His priesthood is not like the Levites. Yes, as a man it was, but our Lord is also from heaven. And in this way, He is the antitype and the completion and the fulfillment of who to whom Melchizedek points. Help us this week to be godly in all that we do. Help us to trust Christ greatly. Your will is our sanctification. May we be more godly and may we look under Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.